Welcome to Thrive Church. I'm so excited for everybody that's here, everybody who's watching online. I'm very thankful and honored that you'd be here, that we could worship together. At Thrive, our motto is don't just survive, we thrive. And we do it by three things. Number one, grow. Number two, develop. Number three, succeed. We're growing a kingdom, not just a local church. If we grow a kingdom, God will build a local church. Amen? We're developing ourselves, our character, so we can be that person that God has created us to be. And in the development of our character, the way we succeed is by going and doing what God has called us to do in our local church and in our community. Amen? All right. Does anybody know what we're talking about? Transformation or transformers. You know, robots in disguise. Exactly. That's kind of like we were, you know, Christians. You know, there's a lot of disguised Christians. It's time that we get out of our disguise and we start transforming. Stop looking like what Christians normally look like and start looking like what the Bible Christian looks like. Transformation. Amen. The first part of our series, what we talked about is we talked about relationships, relationships with God, relationships with each other. And what we found out is this, is we become the people we hang out with. If, if you never smoked weed before and you hang out at a drug dealer's house who smokes weed, eventually you're going to break down and smoke weed, right? Okay. If you go, everyone's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you talked about that. Hey, listen, let's just be real. People do this type of stuff. And they even come to church. Oh, glory to Jesus. I'm just so, just so happy to be here. They got donuts. I got the munchies. You know what I mean? Come on. <laughs> so, the same is if you hang out with a true believer who loves God with all of his heart or her heart, and if you hang out with them and you get, have a relationship with them, you're going to start loving God more. You're going to start serving him more. It's a transformation process. Then the second thing we talked about is being the hands and feet of Jesus. And we had to see what Jesus did and how he did things and the compassion that he had for people. And then we go out and we do. And one of the ways that we can always be a hands and feet for Jesus is like I came in this morning and uh, Margo's out there. She couldn't hardly talk. Sounds like she's got laryngitis. And, and immediately I just prayed. I didn't wait for the church service to start. I didn't wait. I didn't say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you. No, no, no. Because, you know, you know, you've said this before. I'll pray for you. Then they get better and they go, man, I felt your prayers. And you're like, oh, man, I didn't pray for them. And you know you're not going to say, well, I didn't pray for you because you don't want to front yourself out like that, you know, because you're scared. But so what I've started to do is when people tell me something's going on, I want to pray for them immediately. If I can't, I tell them I will try to remember and keep me in prayer for my memory. Anyway, so today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the path that leads to life. And that's what we're going to talk about. You know, there's, there's two paths. There's one that leads to life and there's one that leads to death. And we want to go on the path that leads to life. And we're going to use this from a story uh, where Jesus is, is with a guy named Jairus. And his daughter was near death. Uh, daddy was fighting for his daughter's life. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you've got to intercede for someone. Sometimes you've got to get in there and, and fight for someone else's life. And what we're going to do is we're going to pull four principles out of this that we can use, practical principles that we can use every day. So in Mark chapter 5, in verse 21, it starts this way. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him 
while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come out and, and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So Jairus was departing with Jesus. His daughter was dying. And you're thinking, well, that's not a big deal. You have to realize who Jairus was. He was a religious synagogue leader. He was going to the person who all the synagogue leaders were against. So he had to swallow his pride. It's not being the pope because he wasn't the number one guy, but it's like being a cardinal or a bishop in a, in, in a large organization. And he had to go to someone who was a carpenter by trade. He had to swallow his pride and said, listen, I need you. My daughter's dying. I mean, he was a religious leader, right? I mean, why, why, why didn't he just go to God himself? Because he knew it wasn't working. And he knew that every time Jesus went someplace, it worked. He heard about Jesus. And we're living in some desperate times, and he was very desperate. And because of his desperation, Jesus moved on him with compassion. So, you have to figure, how can you tell he was desperate? Because as Jesus was crossing... He met him at the dock. He didn't wait for him to walk to through town. He didn't wait for him to walk on by and then have people move out of his way because, you know, he was a very important person. Oh, no, he wanted to be first. He came up there on the dock. Hey, Jesus, hey, I need you, man. My daughter's dying. I need you. Can you help me? See, there was an urgency, and, and Jesus saw that. He didn't send a, a messenger. He, didn't, he came personally. He came risking public humiliation. I mean, can you imagine if the Pope in, in Rome came over here to see me? That'd be a big deal, right? Well, this is the magnitude that, it, and, and the Pope's like, hey, man, I, can do, I, I can't do anything. Uh, could you help me, Rick? I mean, that's, that's, think of the story, right? I love this story, man. It's awesome. So, and, and the thing of it is, is he went to intercede on his daughter's behalf. You notice mama wasn't with him? Man, I wish the men in the church would get this. If men in the church would stand up and take their position that they're supposed to be, not rulers like, oh, you listen to me, submit woman. No. But be the spiritual man and head that they were supposed to be and created to be, the church would be powerful. What about submit? I'll tell you about submit. You want to know? It says, first it says submit one to another. Then it says, wives, submit to your husbands. You know, as to the Lord, blah, blah, blah. But it goes on to say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did he do? He washed feet. You know what I'm saying? What does that mean? You know, when Super Bowl's coming on and mama doesn't like football, you turn on the home shopping club and let her sit in your recliner and put your slippers on her feet. Wash the dishes. I mean, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He was trying to show us how to do this. Anyway, that wasn't part of the message. That was just free. <clears throat> but just think, like I said, what the church would look like. Just think what our kids would look like if they saw daddy becoming the leader again. 
not the ruler, not the dictator, the spiritual head of the house. I'm telling you. So number one in your points, be desperate to get to Jesus. Be desperate. That's the first thing. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. In other words, don't go halfway. You got to go all in. You can't just put your toe, oh, it's cold. No, you can't just do that. You have to go all in. You have to get soaking wet. You have, to, you have to go in. And when you go all in, he said, you will find me. You got to be desperate. You got to go all in. James 5.16, it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So when you go all in, your prayer as a righteous man and woman in Christ Jesus, your prayer is effective. The reason why we don't see effective and fervent prayer is because we don't go all in. But if we go all in, and now all in doesn't mean be religious. All in means be relational. Tim Keller said this, he said, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. That's a powerful statement. And I remember 12 years old being pulled out in my surfboard to a riptide to a place that was infested by sharks. And I had nothing. But oh God, help me if you can get me out of here. I'll go to church every day of my life. He took me up on it, made me a pastor. <laughs> Be careful of what you tell God. Anyway, so we'll go on with the story. It says this, a large crowd followed and passed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And you remember when Pastor Benny, if those of you who are here, talked about this story. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So, you know, she spent all of her money. She's been doing this for, what, 12 years now, and everybody knows what's going on with her. It says, when she heard about Jesus, so she knew something about him, something was told to her about Jesus, that he was a healer. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And if you do a study on that scripture, it does mean she was muttering these words. She was, these things were coming out of her mouth. If I touch his clothes, I'll be healed. If I touch his clothes, I'll... you know, she was saying this because in the old covenant, they had a covenant. If you touched the hem of the garment of the priest, you would get healed. And so since he was the priest, so, so she knew that he was the high priest and she, she just knew it uh, supernaturally. And so she knew that she, she came up and touched him, that she would be healed. And it says, immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned her around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? What? Let's see. You guys stand up over here. All you guys, all you guys, this all, all. Press into me. I mean, press into me. Who touched my clothes? I mean, you know? And that's just a small crowd. They had a large crowd. Who, who touched me? Right? I mean, that's crazy. I mean, y'all know. And the disciples, I mean, they, they, they said this. They said, 
You see the people crowding against you. You saw crowding against, that means pushing against you. His disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? What are you, crazy, Jesus? All these people are touching you. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, think about this. Jesus spent some time with this person while Jairus' daughter is dying. Can you imagine what was going on in this priest's mind? He's like, she's been sick for 12 years. I mean, this is in his mind. He didn't say this. We know this because we know her. She's part of the community. She's been to every doctor in town. She's not dead yet. My daughter's dying. So Jesus stops. It says this. While Jesus was still speaking. So in other words, he didn't even continue on. Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? I don't know about you, but I know if somebody came up to me and told me one of my children were dead, I'd be like, Jesus, later. I'm out of here, Jack. I mean, I'm going to go by my, my daughter, my son, whoever it is, and I'm going to go with my wife, and I'm going to comfort my wife. I mean, to me, that's rational thinking, right? But Jairus had a jawbone of a donkey, and he was there to kill a thousand Philistines. Well, how do you know that? Because he made the choice to stay with Jesus. He made the choice not to go and console his wife and the rest of his family. So here's point number two. Be committed to staying in his presence. We got to be desperate for him. And then when we get into his presence, we need to be committed to stay there because it's one thing to come to, another, to the Lord. It's another thing to stay in the Lord. Some of y'all might have come to the Lord in the third grade, but you know it's tough to stay with God. And it's, it's tough because we haven't learned what we need to do to, to stay in his presence. We haven't, we haven't learned that relationship because the thing of it is, is most pastors don't talk about how to do this. Most pastors say, let's, you're going to hell, and you're going to hell, just come on, accept Jesus, and yeah, you're going to hell. And Listen, I'm not going to hell. I'm just telling you that right now. I mean, some of y'all might, you know, and I feel for you, but I'm not going. And, and I'm going to make sure that my family's not going either. I'm going to do everything within my power to love on them unconditionally and give them what they need. But the thing of it is, is the enemy is going to try to do everything he can to pull you out of being in the presence of the Lord because your help comes from the Lord, right? So Jairus had this choice. And I think the class wrote a song because of this choice. Should I stay or should I go now? You know? Some of you guys know that song. Others, others are date, they're starting to date my era. I'm 51. Thank you very much. Anyway, it says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. So when all hell is breaking loose in your life, 
in your health, in your finances, in everything you put your touch, you don't have the Midas touch going on. When all that is breaking loose, don't be afraid, only believe. Fight to stay in his presence. Do everything you can to stay with him. Think about what was going on on this road. I mean, on the way to the daughter, who's now dead, but she was dying, Jairus encounters a miracle. So don't get upset if you don't see your miracle because God might want to show you some miracles along the way to help your faith to believe for yours. Now that's good. So all of a sudden, oh, well, I've had this for, for years. and uh, 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 Jesus, don't you know the severity? I mean, this is, this is what's going on in most people's minds. But he saw the miracle. He didn't leave because that miracle made him stay. He said, you know what? If he can do that, and I know who this woman is, he can raise my daughter. He's got the power over life and death. He's got the power over sickness and disease. It hadn't been working in my life. It hadn't been working in the church that I belong to, but it's working with this man right here. So I'm going to remain in his presence. So Romans 8, 28, it says this. And we know that in all things, everyone say all things. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things. What does that mean? That means when all hell is breaking loose in your life, <laughs> and it don't look, God will use that. If you love God, he will use that to lift you out. He didn't put you there. You came there because this is a fallen world, and we have an enemy out there, and we make rational decisions instead of godly decisions, so we end up in places we shouldn't be in. But even though that we make the wrong decision, God loves us so much that if we decide to go to him with, and, and repent, and what repent means, it doesn't mean, I'm sorry. You know, I mean, that's not what repent means. Repent means, you know what? I made a bad decision. I'm doing it my way. God wants me to do it this way. So now I'm changing my mind the way to do it. And because my mind is changing, now my actions are backing up the way I think. That's repentance. So many people think repentance is coming. Oh, I'm so sorry, God. I just, I'm just sorry. No. That's just a pity party. Repentance is you have to change your mind. And when you change your mind, you'll change your actions. And when your mind and your heart line up with the word of God, oh my goodness, it is amazing. Todd Mullins said this, sometimes when it seems like everything is falling apart, things are actually, actually falling into place. That's another great statement. So instead of talking negative about a situation, start, start speaking the word of God into the situation and start speaking like the God of the Bible. But the only way you're going to be able to do that is you have to read the Bible. You can't just come here on Sunday and say, okay, well, I got, I got my fill up and I'm whoo. I have to get up in the morning, like this morning. Uh, this morning I, I woke up, I don't know, people were leaving at that time of the morning. Well, it was probably five something, almost six. And I woke up, and I just chilled. I just laid back, you know, in the camper, and I'm just meditating on the Word a little bit, med meditating on the Lord, just trying to see where we're going. But 
when I wake up, that's usually how I wake up. But you don't wake up that way unless you start practicing that. It takes about 21 day, days, they say, to create a habit. And I, whoever they are, but that's what they say. So what we need to do is we need to stay as close as we can to him in prayer, in the word, and hang out with believers, not doubters. And there's a lot of doubters in church. They need to be in church because they need to learn how not to doubt. But the thing of it is, is you can't hang out with a bunch of doubters. You've got to hang out with people who are positive. Successful people don't hang out with negative people. Successful people hang out with people who are positive. Jesus was positive. It, he was a positive preacher, and if you want to call him a prosperity preacher, you can call him that, but not prosperity the, the way the world thinks. Money, prosperity, spiritual prosperity. He's full of joy. He's full of happiness. He's full, is he full of money? Sure he is. But money, I don't remember how Benny put this, but this is how I put it. Y'all know what river flood stage is. River flood stage, when a river goes up, all of a sudden you see trees, houses, cars, bicycles, whatever, flowing down the river. But when the river goes down, you've got cars and houses and bicycles and stuff in your front yard. We call that debris. The prosperity is the river that brought it. Did you catch that? People are worshiping debris. They're worshiping the car and the, and the, 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 the new house and, and the money that came to them. That's debris. Prosperity is the river. We worship God and he takes care of us. You don't have to go looking for it. It'll come looking for you. See, a river and a flood stage, you're not looking for all this debris in your yard. You didn't want it to flood. You, you know, because you got to stay home, you got to stay in the second floor because your first floor might be flooded. You might be on the roof waiting for the helicopter to come get you. I don't know. But then all of a sudden when it goes down, you go, oh my goodness. Ah. Now, if we looked at finances that way, we wouldn't have a problem with it. The reason why we have a problem with it is because we're selfish. We want to spend money on ourselves. Anyway, and that was not part of this. It just came. It was good. Amen. He goes on to say, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. People crying and wailing loudly. And says, he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out. So he was laughing at them. Or they were laughing at him. He told them to get out and said, said listen, they're not asleep, get out of here. And they're laughing on the way out. Ha, 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 at him, right? Okay, check this out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. So number one, we need to be desperate. Number two, we need to stay in his presence. And number three, we need to be ready to receive Jesus in your home. That's good. Joshua 24, 15, it says this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And what does that mean? This, is, this will be in your notes. Transformation starts at home. It doesn't start on Sunday morning. 
It doesn't start in the schoolyard. It starts at home. We have to welcome Jesus into our homes. Jesus had to kick all of the doubters out so the work of faith could take place. The work of faith cannot take place if we have doubters. I have people all the time ask me, how come this person gets healed and that person doesn't get healed? And how come this person, you know, you hear about people getting raised from the dead even. How come that happened with this person didn't happen with this person? Is Jesus a respecter of persons? Absolutely not. <clears throat> we have a hard time kicking the doubters out. And let me say this. The preacher might be a doubter himself. Just because you're a pastor, just because you're whatever, doesn't mean you're not a doubter. See, the way you know the difference between a doubter and a non-doubter, results. That's why I really don't like to have a whole lot of just prayer lines. Because there's a lot of doubters. That's why I believe he says, go to the elders of the church. These are supposed to be people who are not doubters. These are supposed to be spiritual people, but it doesn't necessarily make it so. What I challenge you to do when you go to an elder of the church, make sure that you've seen some fruit come from their prayer. Because if you don't see any fruit coming from their prayer, they might be doubters. So, when we read our Bible, let's do what Jesus did. Let's kick out disbelief. Cha-ching. I like that check mark. That was pretty cool. You need to ask yourself a question. What conditions are in your home? What conditions are in your home that are hindering Jesus from doing and being all he can be in your home? Kick the doubters out. Our culture is robbing us of the truth. All you have to do is look on any social media, television, radio, whatever. You have all kinds of doubters. You have all kinds of haters that hate Christians nowadays. But then you got some Christians that, no, they don't deserve it, Lord, but sometimes I think they do. Because they're, they're mean. I cannot stand a mean Christian, a carnal Christian. I can't stand that. A carnal Christian, and I've used this before, I've said this, I've said this actually since the 90s, I would rather be in a phone booth, locked in a phone booth with a hungry mountain lion than to sit on a couch in my living room with a carnal Christian, because at least the mountain lion will have mercy. Carnal Christians are mean people, and they do all their meanness in the name of the Lord. It's all in the name of the Lord. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual uh, forces of this world rather than on Christ. In another translation, it says, basically cast you know, down all your imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bring into captivity, uh, every thought to the obedience of Christ. That does not mean like a lot of Pentecostals and different people have said over the years, I bind that thought and I take that thought captive in Jesus' name and that thought has to go. No, no. Read what it says. When you read what it says to the obedience of Christ, it means when the problem comes and the thought comes, you start thinking, did Christ pay the price for this? 
And when you start thinking that Christ paid the price for that, you start glorifying God, and that goes to the obedience of Christ. It's not the obedience of you. It's not the obedience of your mind. It falls underneath the obedience of Christ. I mean, read the Scripture. I mean, that is what it says. And if you have a problem reading the Scripture, we do have a couple English teachers that do go to church here, and they can help you read English. 2 Corinthians 10.5. Oh, this was actually the scripture I was looking at. I'm sorry. The unknown, then I'm just going to go to the unknown author here. Feed your faith and your disbelief will, will starve to death. If you feed your faith, all your doubts, all your, all your, your questioning, all that will do is it'll, it'll go away. So then the story goes on to say, he took her by the hand and said to her, and he said this in uh, Aramaic. He said, Talithia koam, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. So when Jesus got invited to, into the home, he spoke life into the little girl. So the last point is this. Allow Jesus to speak life over your home. And that's what we have to do. We have to allow him to speak life over the home. Proverbs 18.21 says the tongue can speak words that bring death or life, or death or life is in the power of the tongue. And so words that you speak is either going to bring life or it's going to bring death. So what you need to do is you need to speak life over your marriage. You need to speak life over your spouse, over your children, over your family. You need to speak life over God's people. You even need to speak life over those people that are dying and going to hell. You need to, you need to give them the very love of God. When Jesus spoke life to that little girl, it goes on to say this. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At, the, at this, they were completely astonished. In other words, words demand a response. And if you're speaking the word of God, it demands a response. If there's no response, what do we say? You got doubters in the house. Time to kick the doubters out. See, Jesus knew who the doubters were up front. And he said, y'all get out of here. He, matter of fact, he didn't even take all of his disciples because he knew which ones he could roll with that could, that could have enough faith to believe that the dead would come up. He didn't, so, so I'm saying this, even in your own group or your own posse, you got some doubters that you don't need to be bringing with you everywhere you go. You need to put them aside and say, oh, no, I, I need my close group with me. And we're going to take care of business. And see, that's what the church, that's what we need to do is we need to pick our friends. And when we pick the right friends, they need to be closer than blood relation. Because you can pick your friends, you can't pick your family. I'm not hanging out with some of my family, and I love them. I moved 2,800 miles away, and, it's, and they don't come by too often. But the ones that I do love do come by. Why? Because I let them. They don't have to stay in a motel room. They can stay in my house. But these are, these are family that believe in myself and my wife. You know, I don't want doubters in my household. You don't need doubters in your household. I love what Joyce Meyer said here. Change your words, change your life. And that's the truth. When I came to the South, 
I thought I was coming to like Mecca because I'm from Southern California, you know. And I'm thinking, man, I live in Sin City way out here, and, and I'm coming to, man, Jesus is, is here. You know what I got when I got here? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark, depression, excessive misery. If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. You know, I mean, that's what I got when I came here. And I was, I was looking for faith. I was looking for people who can believe, who can trust God. But I'll tell you what, we have people who trust God. It, it's hard to find them, but when you do, oh my gosh, and you get together and you get to talk about Jesus and just refreshing. Amen? Psalms 141, this is my last scripture, and I'm going to be closing right here. Psalms 141, verse 3. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You know, even the book of James says that we can't tame the tongue. In other words, this is what we need, is we need to ask God to intervene on our behalf before we say some things that we shouldn't say. Put a guard over my tongue. God, don't let me talk the way I've been talking. You know when that guy cuts me off? Don't let me speak in tongues of men that I shouldn't be speaking. So, the last thing is Mother Teresa said this, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. When you start speaking kind to people, people who don't deserve your kindness in the natural, you know what you're doing? You're ticking them off. Because they want you to be messed up, all jacked up in your head. And, they, and I don't even think about them. When I do think about them, I just start praying for them. And if I see them, I say, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. And the thing is, they're messed up. I mean it. Why do I mean it? Because I'm put some of these principles to practice in my life, and I get closer and closer and closer and closer to him, and this is exactly how we do it. So please, when we do these notes and everything that we have, please go over these scriptures. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal things to you. If you see some things in there and say, man, I just don't believe that, you know, uh, I see something. Hey, look, I could make a mistake. That's okay. Just come talk to me. Show me. I mean, because if I'm making a mistake, I want to I make sure I'm not. Just because I went to Bible college and all that stuff doesn't mean I know anything. I'm going to tell you what, where I know something. I know something because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me. I went to the Bible college thinking I was going to get something. But what I learned at Bible college is what I really need is a relationship with God. And without a true relationship with God, we have nothing. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed first thing that I want to take care of is I want to take care of people who might not be born again or people who just say, look, I want to rededicate my life to Christ. These are the people that I want to take care of right now. If that's you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're online, you don't know Jesus Christ, you, you, we're just going to pray together, but if you don't know him or you say, I want to come back to him and I want to rededicate, recommit my life, let me see your hand. Anybody at all? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, you can put them down. That was six hands. That's awesome. Guess what? It would have been just as awesome with one. 
But if that's six hands, those are people who are willing for me to look at them. Guess what? There's probably more than that, but check this out. You're not off the hook yet. We're not going to raise hands because the Bible didn't say if you raise your hand, you're going to the kingdom of God. No, it didn't say that. It said if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So we're all going to pray together. And if you really mean it in your heart and you speak it with your mouth, you're just as saved as that person who raised their hand. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Today, I will not be the same in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I ask that you lead me and guide me in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, that was awesome. Heaven's rejoicing. Amen? We as a church should be rejoicing. We should be, whoa, yeah! Woo! That was a win. We need to be celebrating our wins, you know? Come on. Woo! I mean, right now, they are in heaven. They're rejoicing in heaven right now. Yeah! That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you can stand up. You can clap. It's all good. Because what we're celebrating, we're celebrating people getting born again into the kingdom of God. We are celebrating lives being turned around. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we're celebrating. It's time that the church starts celebrating the wins. God loves you. Every single person. 